Section 45 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. Mammals by Charles Lewis Cornish. Editor. The Antelopes by F. C. Sellers. The true antelopes, including the gazelles, are strictly confined to the Old World, the prongbuck of North America differing so much from all other living ruminants in its horn growth and other particulars that it is considered to be the sole representative of a distinct family. The Hearty Beasts with the exception of one species, the bubal, which is found both in North Africa and Arabia, the hartebeests are entirely confined to the African continent. They are animals of large size, standing from 43 to 48 inches at the shoulder, and are characterized by their long, narrow faces, high withers, and doubly curved horns, which are present in both sexes. Nine different species of this group are known to exist. Although the ranges of these various species of hartebeest cover the greater part of the African continent, it is noteworthy that each species keeps to its own ground, their several ranges but rarely overlapping. All the hartebeests have a strong family resemblance and are very similar in their habits. They are never found either in dense forests or in swampy or mountainous country, but are inhabitants of the arid deserts of northern and southwestern Africa, and of the open grassy plains and thinly forested regions of the high plateau of the interior of that continent. They are extraordinarily fleet and enduring, and in my own experience I have never heard of one of these animals, of whatever species, having been overtaken or ridden to a standstill by a man on horseback. They are very inquisitive, and where they have not been molested, will allow any unaccustomed object, such as a European in clothes, to walk to within easy shot of them before running off. They soon gain experience, however, and in countries where they have been most persecuted, Hartebeests are the keenest sighted and the most wary of all African game. They are very fond of climbing to the top of the large ant-heaps with which the plains of Africa are profusely studded, and from this point of vantage surveying the surrounding country. They live, I believe, entirely upon grass, and in the desert areas of their range seem able to subsist for long periods without drinking water. Their meat I have always thought very palatable. They are generally in fairly good condition, though they seldom carry much fat. Their fat, after being melted, becomes solid again immediately on cooling, and clogs on the teeth whilst being eaten. But very few African species, except the eland, ever become really fat. Their life is too active, and the food supply too uncertain, for them to put on flesh like European deer. 
Bontebok and Blesbok group. Nearly allied to the Hartebeests are certain other antelopes, of which it will be sufficient to mention but two species, viz. the Bontebok and the Blesbok. These two antelopes, though doubtless distinct, since their points of difference are constant and unvarying, are nevertheless so much alike, and evidently so closely allied, that I look upon the former as a highly coloured and specialised race of the latter. The Blesbok once had a far wider range than the Bontebok, and ran in countless herds on the plains of the northern districts of the Cape Colony, the Orange River Colony, the Transvaal, Griqualand West, and British Betuana land, whilst the latter animal has always been confined to the sandy wastes in the neighbourhood of Cape Agulhas, the extreme southern point of Africa. I think it, however, not improbable that ages ago the Blesbok ranged right through Cape Colony to the seashore, and that subsequently the gradual desiccation of the southwestern portions of the country, which is still continuing, or several years of continuous drought, caused the withdrawal of the species northwards from the waterless parts of the country. Those, however, which had reached the neighbourhood of Cape Agulhas, where there is plenty of water, would have remained behind and formed an isolated race, which, being influenced by local conditions, would naturally in course of time have become differentiated from the parent stock. Be this as it may, the Bontebok of today is nothing but a glorified Blesbok, being slightly larger and more richly coloured than the latter animal. Its horns, too, are always black, whilst those of the Blesbok are of a greenish hue. When they are in good condition, the coats of both these species of antelope, as well as of the Sasabi, another member of this group, show a beautiful satiny sheen, which plays over their purple-brown hides like shadows on sunlit water. The few Bontoboks which still survive are now all preserved on large enclosed farms, but their numbers are very small, less than three hundred, it is believed. The farmers of Dutch descent now do their best to preserve rare species on their land. The Gnus. These remarkable animals were once distributed throughout the greater part of Africa, from the Cape to Abyssinia, and their range is even now very extensive, though what was once the most numerous and the most eccentric-looking species of the group has almost ceased to exist. The Gnus are of large size, and at first sight appear to have the head of a buffalo, the tail of a horse, and the limbs and hooves of an antelope. Their heads are very massive, with broad muzzles and widely separated hairy nostrils. Their necks are maned, tails long and bushy, and both sexes carry horns. They are known as wildebeest, or wild cattle, to the Dutch colonists of South Africa. The white-tailed gnu, or black wildebeest, as it is more commonly called, was once found in great numbers on the Karoos of northern Cape Colony, 
and throughout the vast plains of Orange River Colony, Transvaal, Griqualand West, and British Bechuana Land. Its range, in fact, was co-equal with that of the Blessbok. Even as lately as in 1875 and 1876, I personally saw very considerable herds of these quaint animals in the Orange River Colony and the Western Transvaal. When the present war broke out in 1899, there were only two herds of black wildebeest left alive. These animals numbered some five hundred head altogether, and were protected by Dutch farmers. There are probably very few of them left today, and it is scarcely possible that this most interesting animal will long escape complete extinction. Black wildebeests, before they had been much persecuted, were so inquisitive that in the words of Gordon Cumming they would caper and gamble round a hunter's wagon or any other unusual object, and sometimes approached within a couple of hundred yards, when, whisking their long white tails, they would gallop off with loud snorts. They were always, however, very keen-sighted and soon became extremely wary and almost impossible to approach on foot in the open plains they frequented, whilst their powers of endurance and fleetness of foot were such that they could only be overtaken by a well-mounted hunter. In spite of these advantages, however, the value of their skins and the ever-increasing number of hunters armed with long-range rifles practically brought about the extermination of this species of gnu in a few decades. The brindled gnu is a larger animal than the last-named species, standing four and a half feet and upwards at the shoulder. This animal once ranged from the Vaal River northwards throughout eastern and central Africa to the north of Kilimanjaro, where its range overlaps that of a closely allied form, the white-bearded gnu, which is only found in certain districts of eastern Africa. In general habits, these two varieties seem to be identical. In the interior of southern Africa, both north and south of the Zambezi, I have met with very large numbers of blue wildebeests. They usually run in herds, of from ten to twenty individuals, but towards the end of the dry season collect in droves of two hundred or three hundred. They are often found in company with zebras and sassabi antelopes. Their flesh resembles coarse beef, and to my thinking is not ill-flavoured. THE SMALLER BUCKS in addition to the great number of antelopes of large size which inhabit the African continent, there are also very many small species, the life history and habits of some of which are as yet but imperfectly known, since they are denizens of dense forests and feed principally at night. All these small African antelopes are divided into two subfamilies. The first comprises the African dikers and the Indian four-horned antelope, and the second, the dictics, orbis, 
clipspringer, and certain other small bush antelopes. The African dikers are distributed throughout Africa south of the Sahara, and are represented by some twenty different species, the largest of which approaches a small donkey in size, whilst the smallest is not much larger than a hare. The majority of these dainty little antelopes are inhabitants of the dense, tangled forests of the coastal belts of Africa, and are therefore but seldom seen by travellers and sportsmen. One species of the group, however, the common diker of South Africa, is a very well-known animal. This little antelope inhabits much more open country than most of its congeners, and has an enormous range extending from Cape Agulhas to Somaliland, whilst two very nearly allied forms are found in Senegal and Abyssinia, respectively. In most species of dikers, both sexes are horned, but in the case of the common diker, it is very exceptional to find a female with horns, and in all my experience I have only known of three such cases. The four-horned antelope is the Indian representative of the African dikers, and is found along the foot of the Himalaya, from the Punjab to Nepal, and in suitable localities throughout the peninsula of India. It frequents wooded hills, but avoids dense jungle. Like its nearest allies, the dikers, it is solitary in its habits, more than two of these antelopes seldom being seen together. The growth of four horns on the skull of this antelope, and on certain breeds of domesticated sheep, is a curious fact which has not roused as much comment as it deserves. THE CLIPSPRINGER Turning to the second subfamily, we may select the clipspringer as the most characteristic species to describe. This beautiful little animal, which is often called the African chamois, is found in suitable localities from the Cape to Abyssinia. In the southern and northern portions of its range, the clipspringer is an inhabitant only of rugged mountain ranges, and ascends to a height of 9,000 or 10,000 feet above sea level. In the more central regions of its habitat, however, although it always lives amongst rocks, and thoroughly justifies its name of rock-jumper, it is often found in regions where there are no high mountain ranges. It used to be very common in Matabili land, both in the Matopo hills and on the isolated granite copies, which are so numerous in that country, and usually are not more than 200 or 300 feet in height. In Mashonaland, I have found it living amongst granite rocks in the beds of the larger rivers and actually on the same level as the surrounding country. Whereas on Wedza, a great mountain mass of slate and ironstone, which rises to a height of about 2,000 feet above the surrounding country, and to the top of which I once climbed, I did not see any clipspringers. The hooves of this little animal are curiously different from those of any other African antelope being remarkably short and small, with very deep hollows. This adaptation to its requirements 
enables the clipspringer to obtain a foothold on any small projecting piece of rock and to climb in a series of little jumps up the faces of cliffs which seem almost perpendicular in height the clipspringer stands about one foot nine inches at the shoulder the males alone carry horns which are straight and ringed at the base and vary from three to five inches in length the coat is of a greeny yellow-brown colour and the hairs hollow and brittle these little animals are usually met with singly or in twos and threes together when caught young they become wonderfully tame and make the most charming pets being very playful and fond of jumping with surprising ease and grace from the floor of a room onto any elevated position such as a table mantelpiece or window sill end of section 45